Welcome to the Fish Bites Podcast. I'm Aram Layton, and I am joined by Fish Stripes contributor Michael Stevenson. We have a lot to talk about today. Of course, the All-Star break is uh, going to be a main focus. We're going to talk about what we thought about the Derby, the All-Star game, how Ozuna and Stanton did, and Bohr, of course, uh, the impending Marlin sale, some trade rumors, and, and a lot more. So uh, let's get started. Michael, what did you think of the All-Star break, and how do you think the Marlins did? Well, I think that it's been a good showcase for the city of Miami, uh, showing the potential that Miami has to become a real um, baseball town with the crowds that came out and everything that you saw. Um, overall, I think with the Derby especially was like Justin Bohr's big kind of national coming out party. He um, obviously coming out crushing 22 home runs was huge. Uh, I don't think anybody expected that at all. Um, and I think it also might end up affecting how we look at trades if that happens in the future for Bohr. Uh, I was pretty pleased with Stanton's performance despite the fact that he got booted in the first round. Uh, he looked good, but at the same time disappointed in, you know, getting beat out. Um, overall, though, it was a fun game to watch. It was a great derby. It was probably my favorite uh, derby overall. Um, just to view as a player or as a viewer, um, watching Sano get all the way through was pretty um, anticlimactic. But having um, Aaron Judge in it and, you know, Gary Sanchez, plus all the Marlins guys and with the crowd, uh, it was fun to watch. Um, but going to the All-Star game, I think it was uh, overall a pretty laid-back experience is what it looked like to me. Um, MLB always tries to add some little twists and interesting points in there where they have Joe Buck talking to um, George Springer and Bryce Harper on the field. Um, but that showed you know the players are there to play the game and there to enjoy it, but um, kind of made for an interesting experience, especially Bryce Harper bringing up uh, the Dallas Cowboys in their season midway through his interview with Joe Buck on the field. Um, but overall, it was fine. Uh, Robinson Cano's home run was fun to watch. Um, but overall, I feel like it was a very standard all-star game, this being the first one that doesn't have any impact on the World Series, um, the home and, home and away record. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I had a good time watching it. I think that it shows a lot for, uh, like I said, the city of Miami and its potential and where we can go from here, especially with some new leadership coming in. Well, there's a lot of things that you mentioned that I, I, a lot of talking points that I think we're going to get to in this podcast, but first and foremost, you know, Stanton's performance, you know, the whole city was behind him. It was a really big moment for him and he, he, he somewhat folded up there and, you know, he, he at least put on a little bit of a show, you know, he won 496, he still hit 16 home runs, but he looked tired out there, to be honest. And you saw as, as, as he got towards the end of the round, he was really dropping his back shoulder, popping a lot of things up. And one can't help but think that it had to have something to do with the trip in San Francisco the day before, which I, I don't totally understand because, you know, when you're hosting the All-Star game, it didn't make much sense to have the Marlins schedule sending them to San Francisco the day before of, you know, the, the home run derby with two of the players competing in it. I know they make the schedule before that, but you knew that Stanton was going to be in that derby. I also don't really understand because it's not like they were doing a West Coast trip. They came from St. Louis, took three days in San Francisco, ended up getting back in Miami at 2 a.m. Stanton said he slept like two hours, but of course he wasn't going to make any excuses for his performance. And I have to think that had to have something to do with it. And of course, he's been the ambassador for the whole all-star break. And he was getting up at 10 a.m. doing things with charity. And Rob Manfred was saying how he's been unbelievably, you know, 
helpful and, and a great ambassador for the game, but I just don't think it was fair to have the Marlins going all the way in the West Coast the day before they host the All-Star game. Going off of that, I also think that the Home Run Derby, it was a phenomenal Home Run Derby. I was there. The crowd was electric. It was one of the best derbies I've seen. I've seen a few in person, and that one was just absolutely incredible. I think having the star power of Judge and Stanton, even just the allure of the names in the first round, just brought the hype around it. But I think the format needs to be changed a little bit because, as you said, Miguel Sano's anticlimactic kind of snail race to the final wasn't very exciting. I like the head-to-head matchups for the semifinals and finals, but in the beginning, it doesn't seem like the best idea because you have someone like Justin Bohr putting up 22 home runs, but he's stacked against you know the, the champion, Aaron Judge, who ends up hitting 23. And now that guy that just put on a show in Justin Bohr is now out for the entire derby, and it just doesn't seem to make sense to me when Miguel Sano hits 13 and advances because you know, the guy he faced couldn't beat that. So I think that the format needs to be changed a little bit. The home run derby seems to be the more exciting part of the all-star break. It seems to have a lot more excitement around it, not to knock the all-star game. It's a much more laid back, enjoyable experience, but the home run derby really gets the crowd involved. And I do think they need to change that format because there's no reason when you hit 22 home runs in the first round that you should not advance to the next round. I agree. Um, I think that it's definitely a work in progress. It's gotten a lot better from previous years. I know, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, especially, it had been kind of almost a laughable experience. You go back and look at the stats from those games, and the winner hits 10 home runs, 8 home runs, 12 home runs, to where now we're looking at, you know, in the 20s. But I agree. I think that it's, you know, Justin Bohr hitting 22 at first, uh, even Stanton's 17, um, yeah, 17 home runs, uh, 16, excuse me. Um, meant a lot more than what we saw early on. I think that if you kind of switched it to a format where it looks at overall most home runs and who advances from there, you can get a lot more crowd viewership. I like the head-to-head matchups, but I think there maybe could be some sort of like round-robin format they introduce. But I think they're trending in the right direction. It's kind of become the new, what used to be the NBA dunk competition is kind of now the um, same excitement, I think, is close to the home run derby. Um, But yeah, I think that overall you, you get to see a better... Um, showcase talking about what you're you mentioned before with the traveling the Marlins schedule has just been odd this season I mean we had the one of the longest away trips ever uh, just pure distance early on in the season where they went to Seattle and uh, San Francisco and all all those other trips um, really seemed to take their toll on the guys so having them go all the way out to San Francisco despite getting the wins really affected their performance I I would say like you said getting back at two o'clock in the morning uh, no one can expect them to perform at the highest level. Um, but I think that that's something that baseball needs to look at, especially maybe lending a little hand to uh, the players in general. I think it would have been interesting to see, too, with Marcelo Zuna originally being scheduled for the Derby uh, and deciding to sit it out, uh, you know, to keep his swing alive. You know, based, you know your opinions can be different on, on whether or not that affects it. But um, where he would have been placed and how he would have done based around where they put Justin Bohr. I think that they weren't faulted by putting Justin Bohr where they did originally. Um, but now after seeing the performance, you kind of do step back and say, wow, what would it have been like if he um, had had the opportunity to advance? Uh, maybe we would have seen, um, that's when people could have seen, you know, Bohr and Stanton in the finals or even Judge and Stanton in the finals could have gotten, you know, a little bit better showing. And 
you know, for Bohr, it was still, even though he only went for one round, it was, like you said before, it was his coming out party. One of you know the, our fellow writers, Thomas uh, Bennett, wrote a really good piece on just the fact that it's Bohr's first opportunity to just get out on the national stage, you know, playing in a small market like Miami. It's hard for, for you know, guys that aren't named Giancarlo Stanton to really get out there and be known. And uh, I think finally Bohr not only showed his raw power, but he also showed his marketability and his likability. I mean, he showed that he's a personality and he's someone that deserves endorsements and deserves, you know, some fanfare. And I think he's going to get that from now on just from that one round performance because that's what baseball needs. Baseball needs that likable personality, that fun, intense guy like Justin Bohr. Not, I mean, and, you know, the Mike Trouts are great, you know, they're, but they, they also need those outgoing Bryce Harper type guys that, you know, get some excitement around the game. So I think it was a really, really great, uh, you know, coming out party for Justin Bohr and like our own Thomas Bennett wrote a really good piece. You can check that out. It's right on the first page of the site right now. And it's just a, it, it, was, it was a good showing for the Marlins, you know, even though neither Marlin Stanton or Ozuna got a hit in the, in the all-star game and, both of the Marlins were knocked out in the first round. It was still it was still a great as you said earlier, it was still a great opportunity for the city of Miami to show that baseball matters because most of the time it doesn't seem like it in um in Miami, unfortunately, uh unless the team's in contention. But the city really seemed to rally around the opportunity of hosting an all star game and it, it was a lot of fun being there myself the atmosphere was was somewhat like a you know 2003 like the playoffs and the world series run I, I hadn't felt that maybe the only other time i felt that was the first game uh in the new stadium in uh, 2012 when uh where they played the cardinals but other than that there really hadn't been that electric feeling uh even when i i was at edison volquez's no hitter and you know there was only 20,000 people there and it was exciting and the crowd was loud and it was it was a really awesome experience but it just the, the crowd didn't have that electricity that it had, uh, you know, last night or, and, and the night before. So it, it was it was a really nice experience, and I'm glad that Miami got to show a little bit of of baseball love uh, for the national stage. Uh, but that being said, ticket sales were still below the mean, and you know, a lot of fans trickled out pretty early in the All Star game. And I just don't know if Miami will ever be a baseball town. You know, we talk about this impending sale with, you know, either Moss or Hey Moss purchasing the team, or maybe Derek Jeter's group, or maybe Romney's. You know, the the reports are really conflicting, and it's really difficult on our end as you know writers and reporters trying to, you know, convey the best and most factual message to our to our readers. It's been really tough because the reports have been all over the place, and I know as as you know, a writer, it's really difficult. So I, I couldn't imagine how frustrated the fans are and the readers, because it's really been like a three different parties saying three different things, all trying to you know vie for that top bid. And it's kind of really it's it's messed up the whole process of uh, trying to understand what's going on. But regardless, obviously, a sale you know selling the team would be huge. And it could create some excitement around Miami, but 
in my opinion, I just don't know if, if Miami's ever going to escape the small market type, you know, franchise. It just doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen. And I'm curious what you think about that, Michael. But in my opinion, I think Miami will always be a small market baseball team. I agree. Um, I think just to hit on the go back for a second on the all-star game, the intention of it and one of the reasons it being Miami was yes, it was, you know, the new stadium and, and to kind of showcase Miami, but it was also intended to be a night for Jose Fernandez. So um, while we got to have a night of remembrance for him and kind of honor him, you know, Bryce Harper had, you know, specially made shoes for him and they had a moment where they spoke to um, the, you know, they had the Latin American hall of famers come out and throw the first pitch. I really was, you know, sad and heartfelt that uh, it was a really heartfelt moment that, um, he wasn't able to be there to experience the, the night that was really intended to be about him. But yeah, I agree. I don't think that it's ever going to be something where we're, where we're pulling, you know, giant crowds and having a huge audience. But, you know, I, I think that we can still have a local fan base that's a lot more committed or a lot more excited about what they're seeing, uh, especially from the ownership standpoint. It feels like every time we get to the point where it's, you know, we have a product like this with fun young players that are, you know, really I think poised for success um, just with a few tweaks to, you know, both sides of the, of the lineup. Um, I think it would be interesting to see where it goes with new ownership. So where we stand now, Darren Ravel tweeted out a video uh, with commissioner Rob Manfred talking about um, everything. I really felt like the video itself and everything he said afterwards um, was meant to kind of clear the air. Um, He even kind of mentioned that he understands like how confusing it can be for everyone, uh, you know, teams, players, you know, players, you know, this is the chance some of them know that they might be traded, trying to figure out what they're going to do with their families. Uh, And then writers and fans, the media, everybody is involved in this and kind of just holding their hands up, waiting for something to happen. But he said that, you know, behind the scenes, we have a lot of all three groups are working out, you know, their financial structures, their legal issues and due diligences all in preparation for, you know, what I'm kind of imagining to be like a final bid. You did have Jorge Mas, um, sitting with Jeffrey Loria, current owner Jeffrey Loria, at the All-Star game in his section. So that may have meant something, Jorge Moss being you know, a local town guy, uh, and I think probably one of the better can- the best candidate to win the overall bid as he's not necessarily a single um, presenting an offer by one person, but he has the pockets to do it. Uh, I think his offer stands right now, as reported by Forbes, uh, $1.17 billion. Derek Jeter now has this huge group of like 15 or 20 investors um, looking at 1.2 billion. That was from the New York post. Um, I know Loria really likes Derek Jeter um, likes having him around and then him being a 14 time all-star, you know, lends itself to some baseball experience, but it's been reported and said and understandable that he's kind of scared off other investors to his own party just because of how much control he's looking for in the team. But when you have somebody like Derek Jeter asking for control of a baseball team, I think that that's pretty sensible. Uh, apparently Michael Jordan is also in that group too. So I just think that's interesting. And then the last group and the group that I think me personally, myself personally would be most disappointed to see would be, uh, Jeb Bush, Florida governor, presidential candidate, tag Romney, uh, Pitbull is also mixed in that group. It's kind of like the Jeter group with, you know, a huge amount of people mixed in there, uh, kind of a too many cook situation. Um, just without Derek Jeter, without that kind of classic baseball face. Um, that they could show. I think that would bring Derek Jeter's group would bring a lot more attention to the Marlins uh, in a positive way. But overall, I think Jorge Moss would be the best deal. Um, but like I said, um, I was on Joe Spano's SB Nation radio um, yesterday. Um, David Sampson, the president of baseball operations for the Marlins right now, said there's no agreement yet. Um, 
so it's kind of just a waiting game. Like it's been this whole time. Um, but I do kind of feel for the players, a lot of them knowing that they are most likely to be traded or most likely to have the opportunity to be traded um, stands at, you know, a really interesting point for them and their families and in everything they've done for Miami so far. Well, the too many cooks in the kitchen is, is a great uh, way of assessing the other two groups because I, I, I agree with you. I think Jorge Mas makes the most sense because it's more simplistic. You know, he's he, he there's other people in his group, of course, because, you know, no one's going to be a one man show as much anymore in terms of purchasing a team. But I just it makes me a little uneasy thinking thinking about just the dynamics of having 25 people i don't know the exact number but around that it's like 15 to 20 you know investors trying to purchase one team i think it's too many moving parts i think it's too difficult and i think there's too many too many moving parts like i said to that and it can all fall apart so easily and i think just jorge moss is simple he has the money he has you know the whatever he needs he has the credentials he has he's cuban he can really reach out to, to, to the locals, I think it makes the most sense. It's the most simple. And as, as much allure as there is with the Derek Jeter, Michael Jordan group, he's just struggled to even bring in investors. And I just think it's just really messy. I think Jorge Moss makes the best, makes the most sense for the team. And I'd be happiest if, if he were to purchase the team. And I, and I know that they were saying, in reports that it should be not too long after the all-star break for uh, us to find out when and who is buying the team. So it shouldn't be too much longer now, but it's like you said, it's just a waiting game. And a lot of these players that are waiting to find out if they're going to be traded, if they're not, if the new owner wants the whole franchise intact, if he wants them to try and get rid of those bad contracts, I think that all has to go down when they do the financials of the organization. But, kind of segueing into trade talks Prado Martin Prado and D Gordon have been in the news a lot and we're hearing that the Marlins are shopping them around a little bit and they're getting a decent amount of interest three teams have checked in on D Gordon uh, a couple teams have checked in in Prado including the Yankees his former team and the Red Sox I am a proponent of keeping the Marlins core intact that meaning you know, Bohr, Ozuna, Stanton, Yelich, Real Muto. I am not opposed at all to trading D Gordon or Martin Prado. One, because their contracts are a little expensive and a little, they have plenty of time left on them. I think almost five years left on the D Gordon contract and, and four years remaining after this year on the Prado contract. And I think almost a hundred million combined between the two. And it just right. doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me to really keep those guys around with the number 29th ranked farm system. Get what you can. I know I know the Yankees feel like they were robbed by the Marlins in that Martin Prado trade, so I don't know if they're willing to swallow their pride and take him back and give something for him. But I do think that if the Marlins can get rid of those two guys, clear some cap, maybe get rid of Edison Volquez. I mean, I know he's having a decent year. He He's hurt right now. He's on the shelf with a bad knee that's been bothering him since he threw the no-hitter. But, you know, he gets a year older. You know Volquez isn't going to get any better. If you can get something for him now, you might as well. And start fresh with that rotation. Prado could still net a decent return. The Marlins might have to eat a little bit of the contract. I think they should be willing to eat some of that contract if it allows them to get a better prospect in return. And right. D. Gordon, 
His speed is deteriorating a little bit, which is his only weapon, so that kind of hurts him in that respect. And he also just hasn't been the same since that PED suspension, but he has been hot of late. He's flirting with 300, and he's stealing a lot of bases. He's over at 31 stolen bases. So both of them should net a decent return, a couple mid-level prospects at least. And if the Marlins swallow the contracts, maybe they can get, you know, uh, an upper tier prospect. I think it makes sense to trade him, especially Prado with Brian and Anderson coming up in the system. He was just in the futures game during the all-star break and yeah, he looks good. You know, he's, his batting average is still sitting around 250, but he's got 14 home runs at the break. He plays great defense and I think it's time to have a little refreshing start to the infield and, and bring up Brian Anderson at, at this point and get rid of Prado. I don't think it's much of a drop off. You get some more power at third, I always thought that the Marlins infield was a, a little too uh, a little too light hitting, you know, with with D Gordon and Prado both combining for probably six home runs by the end of the year if they're lucky. It, yeah. it, third base is a big power position, and and nowadays second basemen are starting to hit for power. It just it seems like they need to kind of scrap that infield. Uh, and start over a little bit and Brian Anderson might be the guy that could hold down third for the for the future and Dietrich could be the interim guy at second until they find an answer but I just don't think that D Gordon and Martin Prado should be in the long-term future plans I agree um I think that with our farm system being so down we do have some like shining points like you mentioned uh and one of the key things for us being a team uh a selling team this season uh, or this you know coming period the trade deals and then off also the um off season as well looking forward to that um they are gonna hold on to more of the prospects that we've been hoping for and hoping to develop and you know a lot of the guys that we've developed out of our farm system or have gotten whenever they were really young um grew up to be the kind of guys that bring fans into the stadium so i think if we can flip somebody like d gordon like you said um you know winning the batting title a few years ago um, now, like you said, he's dropped off. He's got a bigger contract, but I think especially for teams, um, we posted an article uh, about some of the teams that are looking at him, the Angels, Royals, Blue Jays. The Angels could definitely flip for him. Um, they are kind of looking for that kind of position player, uh, and they're more poised for uh, the win-now kind of mode, I think, versus uh, compared to the Marlins, especially with everything we have going on. So I think that you know, looking at the developmental side of things, we, despite being ranked so lowly, have an opportunity to really bring up some guys to fill those spots. Um, if we can keep the core group intact, you know, the Stel- uh, Stanton, Yelich, Real Muto, um, Ozuna, Bohr, um, maybe even give up just one or two of those guys, I think overall we'd be in a lot better position uh, for the upcoming seasons. I think that this is, you know, something that we could look back on, you know, three or four years later when everything has changed so much and say, wow, you know, we, we really knocked out of the park. We played this this part of the season really well. We played this part of our franchise's history really well. Um, or we could look back on it and said, man, we, we really messed up. And then we're writing articles about what could have been from some player, from some prospect. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really interesting, you know, where we're going. And then all the trade rumors we're hearing um, for all the guys have been just like the sale, the sale of the team, kind of not necessarily confusing, but there's just so much going on and so much interest floating around. It seems like there's – I wouldn't say blood in the water for the Marlins, but other teams are circling. Other teams are looking around. Um, I know that a lot of teams have been fielding prospects or have been, you know, gauging um, their prospects with our position players right now. Um, like you said, I'd be fine. Edison Volquez, while the no hitter was miraculous and amazing, um, 
if he needs to go to kind of build up some of the bullpen or some of the rotational strength, that's fine too. I think David Phelps uh, could be somebody that also maybe draws some interest if teams look at him from more of a last year perspective. His ERA last year was two, 2.2. Um, this year he's throwing 3.35. Uh, so a little bit of a drop off this season, obviously, but if they can look at him, you know, for the maybe view it as this year was kind of one down year for him. Uh, I think that he could also flip some interesting prospects. Um, I don't really know if we could bring in a position player necessarily or a player that could step in and assume the role um, that we're looking for. But I think that he could do a fine job. Um, I think they're, they're showing promise, in my opinion, already getting rid of uh, Denny Echeverria was, you know, I think that's kind of a. Marlins fans go both ways on that one, but giving him to the Rays was fine for me. Uh, I think that his contract and kind of what we've been getting out of him was was fine to go ahead and, and trade for. Um, also, there's some reports going out now of Dan Straley to the Twins. Um, I saw that on MLBTradeRumors.com. Um, I think that they could use his assistance, but I would be sad to see Dan Straley go. But, yeah, overall, it's going to be a really interesting um, time to see who what the 2018 Marlins will look like or even the second half of the season Marlins will look like uh, from this point forward. Well, I would be absolutely shocked to see Dan Straley traded, in my opinion, because he is what the Marlins look for when they're trying to acquire an arm. And what they were hoping to get in Jared Cozart a couple of years ago is a controllable, affordable arm for the long term you know he he's under control for several years he's not expensive and he's out pitching his contract which seems like a a marlin's dream so i think the twins would really need to knock the marlin's socks off to to pry dan straley away especially when the marlins are just so desperate to find pitchers to fill the rotation they finally found one i don't see the point of trading trading him away unless you can really get some top prospects in return but i don't see dan straley netting a top prospect return as well as he's been doing the last two years but I think the 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 focus should be how can the Marlins build around the core because they have a phenomenal offense putting up great numbers this year and they're only five games under 500 for a team that got off to an abysmal start has probably the worst rotation in all of baseball I mean I find myself a lot of times I'll see a pitcher with a 4.9 ERA, like, and I'm thinking, wow, the Marlins could use this guy. And that's when I, I take a second to sit back, and I'm like, holy crap. No other team would even want him. He scraps. But the point is, the Marlins could use any team's scraps for the rotation right now. <laughs> and there's something to be said about that, the, the fact that they're not at the, at the basement of the league with a rotation that's almost a revolving door. I, I You know, we cover the Marlins. A funny thing that happened recently, and in our, our, our Slack channel, which is where we have all our communications between all of the writers on fish stripes. When the Marlins called up, uh, his name's slipping my mind. Chris O'Grady. Chris O'Grady. Thank you. Chris O'Grady to pitch. And he actually did a great job Uh, in San Francisco in his debut. I was on my feet for Chris O'Grady. I was so excited because it was like watching the game, going into the game. I was nervous for him as if I knew him almost because I, realize like man we are it's the desperation point for who we're going to put on the mound uh, especially you know just with some of the injuries and some of the performances we've had so to have Chris O'Grady go out go out and throw a good game was was awesome like that was fun to watch for me um hopefully you can kind of hold it together and be you know part of that group that will sub in every once in a while and pitch for us but no yeah Chris O'Grady was I think the quintessential kind of 
perspective that you have to take with the Marlins bullpen and, and who we're putting out there. The lineup right now is, you know, when we call up somebody that was basically booted out of the league, made a phone call to one of the pitching staff guys that he knew from college. Uh, I think they said on TV too, that he was friends with Justin Bohr. His brother was friends with Justin Bohr. Uh, just kind of working it all through relationships and getting to come up and pitch in AT&T park was, was awesome, but tells you a lot about the state of the Marlins right now. Well, in, and like I was saying, we, you know, we we cover the Marlins, we eat and sleep it. We know almost every prospect, almost every guy. And when, when the reports came out that Chris O'Grady was getting the call up and making the start, I remember all of us just at the same time saying, who is that? Like, no idea. You know, and we cover the Marlins and we eat and sleep it. And we're, we're, if no one knew who he was, and that says something because we, we, uh, we put out reports on all the minor league teams. He was a long reliever in triple a. So that speaks volumes as to where the Marlins are in terms of pitching right now. And I think with the pitching being that poor and not to knock Chris O'Grady, but when you're calling up guys like Chris O'Grady to make emergency starts in San Francisco right before the all-star break, and you're still flirting with 500, I think that's a lineup you have to keep intact. And so if the Marlins can find a way to keep that lineup intact, I think that has to be done by all means. And I, but I used to be a proponent of, you know, scrap it, start over. This clearly doesn't work. But it's it seems like it might work. It's just they need to find a way to fill that rotation. And they always say building through free agency is the worst way to rebuild. And I don't think the Marlins are rebuilding per se. I think if they can bring in a couple pieces, you know, in the rotation, get rid of that Volquez contract, get rid of the Prado contract, Get rid of the D Gordon contract. You call up Brian Anderson. He's on a rookie contract. Right there, you're saving about over a hundred million dollars, and you put that towards an arm or, or two arms, and hope Chen can somehow get healthy and and oh. learn how to pitch again, like he did in Baltimore. And maybe you have a serviceable rotation. But the thing is, with this Marlins lineup, you don't need a great rotation. You just need a solid, average rotation, and and the Marlins will be. You know, competitive, but the the big issue is that Chen contract, and they'll never be able to get that off the books, unfortunately, because no one wants him. Not only is he pitching bad, he's not pitching. So until he can get healthy, the Marlins just have absolutely no chance. And you know, as Marlins fans, you got to just hope he gets he comes back and learns how to pitch again. But I I'm starting to believe that the years in Baltimore were a bit of a fluke. Uh, his 90-mile-an-hour fastball and below-average off-speed and below-average control doesn't seem like anything that's going to turn around anytime soon. So that's one of those where, you know, you just got to eat the contract and hope five years goes really quickly and just take your lumps. But, I mean, as 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 Marlins fans, you can only hope that Wei and Chen can at least just turn into a serviceable starter. Like at least right. get on the field, so that's yeah. that's something that the, the that's that the, is the only hope from for Marlins fans. But other than that, I haven't really taken a look at next year's free agents. But there has to be one or two arms out there that that the Marlins can take a shot at. You know, they don't have the prospects, they don't have the pieces to trade for an arm, so it's going to have to be through free agency. And they don't have any really pitching prospects coming up. You know, Jose Urini has been a great surprise, and he should be in the rotation for the for the foreseeable future. But the Marlins keep making the same mistake, and, it, and it's made me pretty frustrated with going after these high school arms. 
they they, don't, they haven't learned their lesson. You know, the two high school arms they've drafted in the last four years are both on the shelf with Tommy John and turn. You know, with uh, Braxton Garrett and Tyler Kolick. And what do they do this year? They draft another high school arm when they could have taken a guy like Alex Fajardo out of UF. There's something to be said about a college nutritional program, college weight program, instead of these guys in high school that are taking care of themselves and throwing their arms out. And it just doesn't seem like the Marlins have learned their lesson. They continue to take these high school guys because it's affordable, it's a cheaper bonus, and they stretch for guys that uh, are willing to take less of a bonus. And, you know, it's a mistake. And you know, the Marlins can only hope that this this high school arm that they just got this year doesn't get hurt either. But with the Tommy John epidemic, especially with high school arms, it's it just doesn't look good for the Marlins pitching in the future. Right. I agree. I mean, looking at high school arms and what scouts look for in, in high school arms is, you know, speed, um, the number of pitches that they can throw, um, pure size and, you know, just kind of baseline things. Whereas whenever you get to uh, college level, um, they're actually facing at least better talent as well. Whereas the high school guys are just, you know, throwing to people that are were on the JV high school team, maybe the year before or something. So I think that they're getting better. I'm kind of looking towards um, some guy, uh, Colton Hawk out of Stanford. I know he was in the third or fourth round for us. Um, I had watched one of his games and he looked great. He looked like he had some of the control there, but yeah, I think that if we can build up from there, then that would be worthwhile. Like we talked about, I mean um, the core is there, the offensive there is there and based off of what we have been able to field as far as pitching goes, it is remarkable that we are not a worse baseball team than we are. Um, I'm really, really happy with everything I've, I've seen out of them so far. I think that if you get somebody in that's not in the mindset of Jeffrey Loria looking at just the balance sheet, um, somebody that's in tune with the community of Miami and, and Florida in general, what they're looking for is you know kind of guys that can can be the face of the franchise. Somebody like Giancarlo Stanton, but also not have to have that thought in the back of their mind like you know, like we've had Justin Bohr. He's become very recently somebody that players and, and fans enjoy to watch. But with the Marlins history, you kind of have this monkey on your back of, well, it's just a matter of time until they flip him and get rid of him. And and some of the guys will have to be, you know, traded off like we talked about, you know, get rid of, getting rid of the D. Gordon contract and others um, are going to have to go. But a new owner will have to take that into account of if they want people to enjoy the product that they're putting out on the field, then they're going to have to be able to field people that players that people want to come and watch um, players that can perform well and they don't have to worry about losing their entire organization every five to 10 years based off moderate success. Uh, I'm makes me nervous and I'm glad that Loria is kind of stepping away or getting rid of the team, selling the team because it, for this crew we have right now, this young core that you're talking about, that's so exciting to watch. I mean, Marcelo Zuna is understated one of the best players in all of baseball right now in every metric, in, in defense, in, in batting, everything. Um, and you know, not to mention, obviously, Giancarlo Stanton doesn't need any further conversation about how good he's been. Christian Yelich, JT Real Muto, all those guys. Um, but to be able to kind of hold on to them and to build around them, I think will produce a much more um, viable team for everyone to come and enjoy. Um, but to have them stick around and, and to add in the, the missing pieces and not to blow the whole thing up and start over. I think of like the, the diamondbacks this year, uh, you know, they lost Mike, uh, Mike Trout for a good chunk of the season. He comes back on Friday or Saturday. Um, but they've, they've managed to stay where they are at, where I know is last year and the year before people were begging them to blow the whole thing up and start over. Um, 
I look at a team like the Astros. I remember in 2014 or 13, Sports Illustrated posted, you know, the winner of the 2017 World Series, and it was the Houston Astros when they were maybe had won like 40 games that whole season. Just a truly terrible baseball team, and they had built around their young core, not selling everybody off, looking at contracts, bad contracts that they needed to flip, um, and going after players just to develop the ones that they have now. And now they have arguably definitely the best team in baseball, in my opinion, this first half of the season. Well, absolutely. And and the Astros are kind of the rebuild that every team hopes that they can put together. It's almost a a sped up fast forward rebuild where, you know, they kind of skip the the whole in-between lull where you have to ease your way up to success and kind of just jumped right into it. and, And they did a great job. And now they've kind of paired the veteran leadership with the young guns and it's it's looking like the Astros might be the favorite to win the World Series this year which I don't know anyone if anyone really expected that so that's been great to see and and the Marlins aren't far off of that they're just missing a couple arms because you look at Houston they've got Keiko and McCullers two young guys that they were able to acquire during that rebuilding prospect or rebuilding process and they they just came up quickly they threw the ball well and now they're shoving it at the major league level so that's the, all the Marlins really need is, is a couple pitching prospects that can get up quickly and and that's all it really takes and unfortunately Kolick could have been that guy by now and it looks like Braxton Garrett won't be that guy for even longer but there's some hope if they can just go after some of those guys you know the Yankees have a surplus of pitching prospects and maybe Prado can can net one of those and that's the thing, though, is it seems like you might have to give up one of those core players in order to get one of those McCullers or Keiko-type prospects, and that's the kind of middle ground where the Marlins don't really know which way to go, and and that's where it's kind of tough. Uh, anyways, we like to usually end the show on like a hot take sort of thing, and one of my previous hot takes was that the Marlins need to get rid of Adani Echeverria and that came true. And I was very excited about that because I have been very outspoken about my displeasure for Adani Echeverria. Not that JT Riddle's any superstar, but I just could not stand watching Adani hit and it was painful and now it's gone and now it's over. And that's really exciting. But now this kind of hot take for me is going to be not really a hot take, but just something that I've noticed that kind of bugs me, and it's the monster energy drink um, advertisement in center field. I think it's the worst advertisement in all of sports, and the Home Run Derby kind of supported that notion for me. So for those that aren't familiar with Marlins Park, center field, there's a big monster sign, and the O has a red highlight around it. And if any player hits that monster sign, any part of the monster sign, a random row gets beat, beats headphones. And if someone hits inside the O, they win a custom Bentley. But of course that's never happened. And that thing's been up there for two years. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch in this Derby. And of course the, the promotion's gone for the Derby because there was an actually a chance that someone would hit it. So they, the, the promotion was gone. And I think maybe one Aaron Judge home run went near that section, and it didn't hit the sign. I can promise you that. And maybe one Stanton home run, and that's in the home run derby. And so I was thinking about it, and and I just had to think. I was like, that's just the most bogus promotion of all time. No one's ever going to hit that thing. It's a waste of space. It's a waste of time. And Monster Energy, you can do better. If you actually want to give something away, put it in a place where something can actually be hit. That is my only take of the day. 
And I don't know if you have anything, Michael. I don't know if you want to go under after, like go after any corporations, but that is my big thing for the day. Uh, not necessarily a corporation. I had not. That's that's fantastic. I had not heard that. That's truly just unbelievable. But yeah, no, that's. Um, I think that my only hot take uh, and something we may need to look at going into the second half of the season that the Marlins as a whole organization that the new owner needs to take into account. Uh, bring back Rally Cat. We need to have Rally Cat come out and uh, do some laps around the field. Maybe just leave him in the bullpen. Like he needs to live in the bullpen to, you know, just spark some arms from this point forward. Uh, whatever we can do. It doesn't matter if the bullpen, if Rally Cat needs to come out with the new pitcher, the pitcher that's being called in by Mattingly, if he needs to walk out Rally Cat on a leash, uh, whatever we need to do. If he needs to have some like catnip beside the uh, pine tar bag, whatever needs to go from this point forward, I'll take it. And I think Rally Cat's our only hope. Well, I think it's a great idea, and in and in Little Havana, there are plenty of stray cats, so we could just get another it's one and just say it. It's Rally Cat, but because yeah. I heard I heard the real Rally Cat kind of disappeared into the into this horizon. But that's a great idea. I know Joe Madden's been known to do some crazy stuff. I know he got like a witch doctor when they were losing in Tampa for a while, and I, I don't see why a cat won't hurt. Um, also, one last thing I forgot. Monster Energy, you're not going to get away with it. I actually found out the measurements. It's over 510 feet to hit that sign, so that will never happen, and that's just not fair. So that's the thing. No one, if you're going to the game hoping that you're going to get beats, you're probably not. But anyway, this is gonna this is gonna conclude the show for today. I'm Aram Layton with Michael Stevenson, and we will be back weekly with the Fish Bites podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>